Now we're going to read from the Bible, Genesis chapter 18, and uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 15. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, speaking of Abram, Abraham. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them, And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Over the years, I've, I've known different couples who wanted to have a child But for whatever reason, something prevented pregnancy. Something prevented them from being able to have a child and to to bring the child and and see the day of birth. And and their hopes of of having a baby, their hopes would stretch out, stretch out into into months, maybe stretch out into years of testing and, and consultations and even invasive procedures. It was all very sensitive. And it could be very painful because hopes would rise and then there'd be disappointment. There would be tears, another negative test, another, another conception or pregnancy that just didn't come to term. There'd be tears and then and there would still be no baby. And then for some couples, they would hope and they would try for so long that it, it just started to seem impossible to imagine that they would ever have and hold a baby. Now today we're looking at a couple who wanted to have a baby, but instead they've got unwanted childlessness. 
Abraham, Sarah, they've been trying for at least 25 years. In all likelihood, they've probably been trying for 70 years to have a baby. And now Sarah is 90 years old. There, there comes a point where you just have to accept the situation, right? It, it, she's 90. The, you don't try to have a baby when you're 90. And it's not just trying to have a child. It could be you just come to have to accept the situation, accept the situation that your job, your frustrating job, is not going to improve. Except that the problem person in your home has not really changed. Except that a baby won't be brought into this home. But for Abraham and Sarah, God had promised them a child. So they can't just accept that they don't have a child. God had promised them a child. God had promised them a child repeatedly. It was very clear. They knew he had promised to do it. But it has been so long. And then every time that God promises, they've got to wait. 13 years, and they wait. And it's kind of like a man who promises his wife. He makes a big promise to do something special for his wife. But then he delays. And, and then he renews the promise again. I'm going to do it. We're going to have a special night out. We're going to have a special time away. And he makes that clear promise, but he delays. And after a third promise, she becomes skeptical and then even doubtful and, and even just disappointed because it hasn't happened, even though it was promised. There, there's, this is something, though, of a theme that's in the Bible about how the Lord tests us. The Lord does this kind of thing and tests us. He promised Israel an end to their slavery, their lives of slavery, but they had to wait 400 years, four centuries he, he, the Lord promised that his people would return from exile in Babylon, but he told them up front, it will be 70 years, and so they would have to wait. He promised a child to Abraham and Sarah, but he waited until they were almost 100 years old. And he has promised us that Jesus would come again, and it has been 2,000 years. The Lord makes all of us wait, waiting for a life partner, for, for marriage, waiting for your life partner to become what they promised they would be on your wedding day, waiting for your job to come through, waiting to be cured of what ails your body. As a Christian, you know that ultimately in all this waiting, you know that Jesus will return and that the resurrection day will arrive and that everything will be renewed and everything will be repaired. But until then, today, before that day happens, today, can you hang on for a hundred more hours? Can you hang on for a hundred more days? Can you hang on for a hundred more years? This is the message of the text today. We grow weary of waiting, but nothing is too difficult for the Lord. We grow weary of waiting but nothing is too difficult for the Lord. We're going to look at three things. When we are weary of waiting, we can still do well. When we are weary of waiting, we can still do well. When we are weary of waiting, we may lose heart. And when we are weary of waiting, God works something wonderful. Let's look at the first thing. When we are weary of waiting, we can still do well. Verses 1 through eight of our passage. Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And they are far past the time of having children. That's what the text says. From, from when this 
promise first arrived and he was, she, she, he was already like in his 70s. And, and from the time that the promise was first made, 25 summers have already come and gone. 25 winters have already come and gone. 25 years and still no child. Nothing's changed. The Lord occasionally appears, renews his promise, and so they're waiting. But in this scene here, in the scene in verses 1 through 8, this is a scene of sweet, ancient Near East hospitality offered by Abraham and Sarah. And, and what you see is this. Even though that these people have waited so long and they are still waiting, even though they've waited so long, it doesn't stop them from working good in this world. It doesn't stop them from doing good to others. Look at how Abraham and Sarah, together, they welcome these travelers, and they give generous, lavish hospitality to three strangers, these three travelers. Look at all the indicators that Abraham and Sarah treat people, even strangers, generously. Well, first of all, you see this. Abraham, this old man, 99 years old, he exerts himself. You see that he exerts himself. Verse 1, in the hottest part of the day, in the laziest part of the day, Abraham physically exerts himself for these men. He runs in the heat of the day. He runs, it says, to care for their needs. We also see this. Not only does he exert himself, he lowers himself. To, to, to show hospitality, he does it in a way where he makes himself lower. Verse 2, even though Abraham, what do we remember about him? He, he, has, he has honor. He's a, he's, a, he's a military champion for the surrounding region. He's also a wealthy businessman, but he treats the strangers like they are the big shots. Verse 2, he bows down to them. Verse 3, he's enthusiastic to, to welcome them. He, he says, if it would please you, stay a while at my house. Abraham is glad to have them, glad to feed them. He's glad to talk to them. It's just, it's just human kindness coming out of Abraham to these three strangers. So he exerts himself. He lowers himself. You also see this. He spends himself. He's generous. Not only does he offer just the usual refreshment to travelers. He offers bread. He offers like this yogurt mix. That would be just common, normal courtesy. He offers water for their feet. But he offers meat. And that is, that's just above and beyond what would be called for what would be normal. He offers meat. Verse 7, he offers a good and a tender calf. He's offering them steak. He's offering them more steak than they could even eat. It's a generous gift to these three strangers. It's more meat than they could eat. So he exerts himself, he lowers himself, he spends generously for them. Now, Abraham and Sarah are old. This, this is, this, these are old people doing it, and, and they're still waiting. The long-awaited child has still not been given to them, but it didn't stop them from treating people generously, from giving generously to strangers, to others. Now, this is, just, this is just something that the Bible wants all of us to do and how we treat one another, our friends, our fellow members, but, but even strangers. Hebrews 13.2 says, show hospitality to strangers. Hospitality, the, the word is philoxenia. You can hear what it means, philo, love. Xenia, the strangers. Love the stranger. Love a person. Love a person that you don't know. Love a person that you've never met. Love people, even if they're not your friend. So that's, that's what Hebrews 13 tells us. And the Bible speaks to this in other places. Think of Galatians 6, verse 9. 
it speaks to this, and it speaks about connecting waiting, waiting for something that you've been waiting for for so long, waiting long with working good in this world, waiting while still working good. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith, waiting long, working good. They go together. Maybe you have been waiting long. Maybe you have been waiting such a long time for your troubles to change. Are you weary of doing good while you're waiting? Or are you still glad to help others? Are you still glad to invite others into your home, into, to, to your table, at cost to yourself? Are you still willing to, to give generously to people who need your time, who need your place, who need care from you while you're still waiting? When, when we are waiting well, when we're waiting well, we welcome people who have needs. We do good to strangers, we still keep doing good to our brothers and sisters. Hospitality is one of those ways that we can do good. Hospitality is one, of, one tangible way to put the needs of other people above the pains that we carry and bear in our hearts. And, and there's something sweet about hospitality and, and this text that, that you, you must not miss. When you do good to others, when you do good to others, you are doing good to God. When you show hospitality to the needy, you're, ho- you're showing hospitality to Jesus in some, some real sense. You remember he- Hebrews 13, 1, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain or to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And, and that's what happened to Abraham and Sarah. They showed hospitality to strangers, but they discovered that they were actually showing hospitality to angels. But this principle gets even sweeter. Jesus, Matthew 25 says, this is Jesus speaking, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, Jesus says, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer Jesus, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. When you love the needy, when you share a meal with someone else, when you share your presence with strangers and needy people, when you, when you listen long to the lonely person that has a lot to say, when you share food and presence with them, you share food and you share presence with Jesus, 
That's how he sees it. And you don't even realize it in the moment. They said, when? But Jesus receives it. Jesus receives it. There's this beautiful lowering of the Lord. Imagine, when, when, when the, the service is over today and we have a little chance to visit with one another and you're out there, you're in here, and, and maybe there are these little kids. You don't even know the names of them. They're so, like they're always in motion. You can't take a picture that's not blurry. But you, you, sit, you try to have just a few words of conversation with a, a hyper little four-year-old after the service just trying to start building some kind of relationship. When you do that, you might be welcoming the Lord Christ. Or, or when you proactively, when you initiate a call or, or, or coffee with someone who just needs to be with someone, just needs to talk to someone, you may find later that you connected to Christ. Verse 1 says that it's the Lord himself and two angels who visited Abraham and Sarah on that day in our text. Now, now think about that. What's going on there? The Lord of heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills He's the largest multinational corporation owner. He does not need to eat, the word says. He does not need shade from the sun. But he took pleasure in eating bread baked by Sarah. He took pleasure in eating steak grilled by Abram's staff. The Lord, the Lord enjoys our little meals and our conversation with him. Now, why? Why would God? Why would God eat my food? Why would God receive my sacrifice? Why would God receive it as something good? Because sometimes we serve and it costs us. We trade time, maybe watching the game with friends. We trade that time to go help someone who's struggling and they need help getting their toilet fixed. Or, or you invite some, some woman, a sister from church, to your modest home and all you've got to serve them is just beans and rice? Why does God receive that? Well, I think it might be something like this. I've got children. I've had quite a few children. And for, for us, our years of having small children, they're done. Our children are, are much older now. But every time, every time my, my, my three-year-old, my, my, my four-year-old was just playing and wanted me to sit down. And, and my little three-year-old wanted to serve me play food. It might have been like plastic hollow chicken leg or wooden slice of pizza. I savored those moments. I savored those meals and those moments. And they're so low on attention, it only probably took 45 seconds. And then it was over, and they were off running off to the next thing. Or, or when my, my eight-year-old wanted to tell me a long unending, rambling tale. Sometimes it was taxing. The rambling was taxing, but at the same time, I delighted. I delighted to hear from that child. I think that's something of, of the pure fatherly pleasure that our Heavenly Father takes in these little offerings, in these seemingly insignificant and unsuccessful acts of service that we try to do unto him. Something like that. So when we're, when we're weary of waiting, we can still do well. But second, we see this. When we are weary of waiting, we may lose heart. When we're weary of waiting, we may lose heart. Isn't that what we see in verses 9 through 13? Last week, Genesis 17, the Lord renewed his commitment and his covenant to Abraham. This week, in this text, the Lord is renewing his commitment to Sarah. 
specifically to Sarah. The conversation here, it is largely directed to Sarah, even though it's going through Abraham. The, the focus on the text is how a- Sarah is standing there, as was customary in the ancient Near East, standing just to the side, at, near the tent door, while the three guests are sitting under, under a, a, a shade from, from part of the tent flap. Uh, under the, the tent shade, enjoying this meal. And she is, Sarah is participating in this conversation, listening just around the doorway of the tent as they are talking. Verse 10, the Lord says, the Lord says to Sarah, through Abraham, that child, that child I've been promising all these years, decades, that child, it's time. It's time. Next year. The Lord had already told this to Abraham in Genesis 17. This text is the Lord telling it to Sarah in person that the time has come. The text keeps registering Sarah's response to this news, to this word from the Lord. But for her, it's been too long. It has been too long. It is just not possible. Verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. You cannot have a child after menopause. Sarah's body has moved on. It's, she's moved on. And here we say that Sarah herself, inside, her soul has grown weary of waiting, and she has lost heart. Now, how do we know this? Well, verse, verse 12, it says, Sarah laughed to herself when she heard the announcement. She laughed to herself when she heard what God was saying about next year. It's here now, next year. She says, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My my Lord, my husband Abraham, being old also. She's saying, I'm old. Abraham is old. The, The sensual pleasures and intimacy of marriage aren't there. And she's saying, we are too old to procreate. We are too old to know the pleasure of receiving a child of our own. That's what she's saying in her head. That's what she's saying. And, and especially look at her laughter. That, that's a key, both with Abram's response and Sarah's response. Look at her laughter. Last week, Abraham laughed when the Lord had said, your waiting's almost over. Within a year, the sun will come. But Sarah also laughs. Sarah also laughs when the Lord tells her the same news. But her laughter is not a laughter of, of joyful expectation. Sarah's laughter, it's, it's that kind of laughter when it's, it's just disappointed resignation. Her laughter reflects a woman who's bemused but cynical. Her laughter reflects a woman who has been disappointed. See in this laughter, see her, her resigned disbelief. It's as if she's saying, I thought, I thought things might really improve. I thought things might really improve in this marriage but it, it's too late. See her, her diminished hopes. It's like she's saying, really? Really? We're going to try one more time? Get ready for another strikeout. I've been, I've been a Christian for quite a number of years now, but from the very beginning, from the very beginning, I struggled with my own lusts, my own anger, my own pride, and I, I've fallen and I've failed many times. I've repented. I've gotten back into the battle. And sometimes, 
My lust, my anger, won. I sinned. Sin abounded. And then there would be confession. There would be repentance. Sometimes you, you confess sin, but then you repeat the sin. And, and it goes confession, repentance, confession, repentance. And you repeat it so many times, you start to wonder, is this repentance real? Am I really repenting of sin? Am I really turning away from sin? And I wondered if the, if the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, if it would ever change in me. But after years of waiting, after years of praying, years of resisting sin, confessing sin, years of growing in Christ, the Lord has changed something. Something has changed. Maybe some of it has to do with age. Abraham and Sarah were biologically spent. Maybe, maybe for me, being you know, 50, uh, 54, uh, perhaps just you know, reduced testosterone with age has reduced some of the temptations. I don't know. But perhaps the Spirit of God has also worked his good progress and sanctification in me. The battle is not finished. But God has made gains gradually over decades but by God's grace I did not stop warring against my besetting sins I have my besetting sins you have your besetting sins we can get weary we can get weary about that Sarah has grown weary of believing and hoping did you know that did you know that hope is a Christian virtue hope is a Christian virtue. Psalm 42, verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Because of Sarah's battered hope, she cannot see the dawn is just a to break she can't see the dawn is almost here she's in the last few minutes before the sun comes up the baby will be here in a year she's about to get pregnant the Lord is at the door the fulfillment of her hopes is right in front of her but when we are weary of waiting we lose heart sometimes have you lost heart have you lost heart or, or, or are you still holding on? Are you still holding on? Are you nurturing your hope? Are you nurturing your hope in the Lord? How can you tell? How can you tell if you're doing that? How can you tell if you're, if you're still hoping, if you're still nurturing your hope in the Lord? Well, here's one way that you can tell. Take your battered hope, whatever your battered hope is, the area that you need God to change, the, the area where you need God to, to fulfill his promise to you, it could be your own sin. It could be the sins of others that are affecting you. It could be your loneliness or your, your unwanted singleness. I guarantee you, whatever it is, wherever your hope has, has been battered, but you're trying to hold on, I guarantee that the Bible speaks to it. So find those places where the Bible speaks to it. If you need help, ask for help finding those places, whether it's your financial anxiety, whether it's your loved one, where you're just wishing they would become a lover of God. Find the places where the Bible addresses it and then ask yourself this. Do these words, do these words in the Bible, these words from God, like the words that came to Sarah and Abraham, do these words 
raise my hope? Can I hold on longer when I hear what he has to say about this? Psalm 8411, one example of a general place that, that shows that the Lord will, 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 our hope in him will not be disappointed. Psalm 8411, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Does God's word, does that word from God raise your hope at all? Or, or when you hear something like Psalm 34:10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. When you hear God's words, does that raise your hope? Or maybe when you're, you're just in darkness, life has become very dark. The day for you begins dark. The day for you ends dark. And life is just dark. Isaiah 60, 19. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord... The Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God will be your glory. When you hear God saying those words, does that raise your hope? Or, or do you feel things are never, things will never get better. Things will never get better with my mother. Things will never get better with my child who is no longer a child. Things will never get better with my wife. Things will never get better with my life. There's, there, to, to, this, to this weariness, this losing heart, there's a gentle, in this text, there's a gentle invitation to confess your doubt. There's a gentle invitation to confess your weariness. The Lord has come here to Sarah with a very tender invitation for her just to confess that she's weary of waiting, to confess that her hope in God is dwindling and is is waning. Sarah laughs with her bitter laugh, and the Lord, in response, is, is so gentle. He doesn't break the bruised reed. He doesn't break straw that's been snapped, but is just barely holding on by a few tendons. Verse 13, the Lord asks, why did Sarah laugh like that? And then she denies it. She says, I did not laugh. And then for the first time in this whole little scene, instead of speaking to Sarah through Abraham, the Lord directly speaks to her. And it's tender. Verse 15, he says, no, but you did laugh. She's afraid. She denies it. You did laugh. She knows it. He knows it. Here's a question for, for all of us. Are you... When you're dealing with someone who's low on hope, are you gentle? Are you gentle with people who are low on hope? Are you gentle with people who are fearful? Are you gentle with them the way the Lord is gentle with Sarah? Well, the Lord here is inviting Sarah to confess her weariness of waiting, her, to confess that she's losing hope in the Lord and all this. Well, how about you? Are you comfortable confessing? Are you comfortable confessing that you are weary and worn out of waiting on the Lord, that you're tired and discouraged with waiting for God to do something. Are you, are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable confessing that you're low on hope 
in the Lord. If you are, there, you know, there, there, there are songs and there are prayers in the Bible that actually do that, that confess that they are low on hope. You, you could look at Psalm 77. You could, you could pray Psalm 88. Are you weary of waiting on the Lord? Confess it to him. Confess weariness to God. It pleases him when we do that. He, he already knows that we're weary. He's like the father of that sick son that came to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, I do believe, but I don't believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus was very kind and tender to him. So when we are weary of waiting, we may lose heart. And finally, we see this. When we are weary of waiting, God works something wonderful. When we're weary of waiting, God works something wonderful. Verse 14, the Lord himself says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for God? Your, your tangle is not too tough for him. Your depression is not too deep for him. Your crisis, the waves of crisis, cannot overwhelm him because God can do anything. He made everything in the world, and so that means God can do anything in your world. We believe, we believe that God is sovereign. Here's a, here's a bare statement of the Reformed doctrine of God's sovereignty. He is able. He is able. But the verse that, where God says, is anything too hard for the Lord, that verse, it could also be translated this way. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And that raises our hope even higher. What if God not only can do the difficult, but God does the wonderful? What if God didn't just stop your loneliness from hurting so much? What if he could stop your loneliness from hurting and did something wonderful beyond that? What if God filled your empty home with joy? What if, what if your, 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 your challenge is, you're, you've got this child who's constantly acting out and your, your life, your, your home is upheaval. What if God could, could not just stop your child from that misbehavior, that misdirection, but what if, you're, what if God could do something wonderful like make your child a lover of God? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Nothing is too wonderful for the Lord to do. Sarah's laughter expressed a woman's disappointed hopes, a woman's resignation over the child that she never had. It was not a laughter of joy. It was a woman's ironic laughter. It was tinged with, with bitterness. It was tinged with disappointment. She felt that some things are too difficult for the Lord. But here's what you need to see. Timothy Keller makes an observation about John 16, which shows a woman's laughter, but it's not a laughter of disappointment. It's a laughter of joy in John 16. John 16, 21. A woman, when she is in labor with a child, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Sarah waited a lifetime for a child. And here is the wonderful work of God in the gospel. You, you believer, you are the long-awaited 
impossible child that Jesus awaited. And receiving you gives Jesus great joy. Jesus endured labor and anguish in bearing your sins on his cross, but he no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that you have been received as a child of God. You, believer, are the wonderful work of the Lord that brings him joy. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And, and for you now, as you, as you continue to walk the life of sanctification, of warring against your sin that you're so weary of having to wrestle with, he will complete it. And perhaps it will be years before your life on earth is done. But you need to know this. Jesus is waiting for you, waiting for you to complete the course of sanctification that will result in glorification. He's waiting for you and he is not weary. He's not weary of waiting for you. And on that final day, Jesus will say to you, enter into joy, my child. Enter into my joy. He brings you. He's bringing you not into a tent with a little flap of fabric for shade in the desert, for bread and water. He is bringing you to his banqueting table. His banner over you is love. That's why he gets joy in receiving you, because he loves you. He's glad to see you. And so the call for you, the call for you is receive the welcome hospitality and the home of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we we know that we are strangers. We know that we are not worthy to be received and to receive the hospitality of Jesus and to think that he does it with eagerness, that he would exert himself, he would lower himself, he would give at cost of himself and he would take joy in receiving us. What a wonderful work you have done. Lord, if there are any who are strangers to God and are strangers who have not yet come to your tent, come to your temple, come to your throne, we pray that you would draw all men unto yourself. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.